0: Well, good evening. Uh, It's great to be here. And uh, as many of you know, I'm Jewish, the son of two Jewish parents. I was raised in New York City. And uh, I want to talk with you about a few things tonight. Uh, Of course, we're meeting here right now because what happened on October 7th in Israel I want to talk with you about several things. One is the root cause of anti-Semitism. Another is the root cause for the Jewish people's resistance to believing in Jesus. A third thing is about whether the law of Moses applies to Jewish people today. And lastly, I want to say something about the future for the Jewish people as a nation, and the future of individual Jewish people today. David spoke about this already. I'm going to just mention it again briefly. It's so important that it doesn't hurt to go over it twice. Remember how in the Garden of Eden, the Lord gave Adam one commandment. The Lord said to Adam, you may eat of any plant or tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, Adam communicated this knowledge to Eve. Eve was tricked by the serpent who was inhabited by the devil, Satan. And Eve ate of the fruit and shared it with Adam, who also ate. Right then, sin entered the human race, the entire human race, and with sin came death. Everything changed, and everything was corrupted. Right then, as Pastor David told us, God spoke to the serpent, to Satan, and he said this, I will put enmity between you and the woman... And between your seed and her seed, he shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. The seed of the woman was and is the deliverer. He is the Messiah. And this prophecy makes it clear that one day the Messiah will crush the head of the enemy of humanity, Satan. That will be the end of him. As the story unfolds through scripture, we are we're told that God chose Abraham, as Pastor David told us, and his physical descendants, including the 12 tribes of Israel, the head of those 12 tribes, Jacob's sons. He chose them to be a special people, and we are told that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah and from King David as the enemy learned that the Messiah was to come through the Jewish people the enemy first tried to prevent the Messiah from coming into the world through the attempted killing of all Jewish babies in ancient Egypt he was unsuccessful however Moses was born and survived to lead his people out of Egypt as a nation. Later, the evil Haman in Persia tried to annihilate all the Jewish people, and he also failed. This is celebrated today in the festival of Purim, which Jewish people celebrate. Later yet, in about 175 BC, a Syrian king named Antiochus Antiochus Epiphanes is how he is referred to. He tried to destroy all the Jewish people, and he committed something called the abomination of desolation in the temple. If you want to read about that, you can go to the apocryphal books, which are uh, available either on the internet or in certain bibles such as the new revised standard version and you could read in first Maccabees what happened Antioch about the abomination of desolation because that was in the past but we're going to see that again in the future more about that in a minute Antiochus Epiphanes also failed and the victory of the Jewish people over Antiochus is celebrated in the festival of Hanukkah. And there were many more attempts, all which failed. So the Messiah came. He was born of the virgin, Miriam, Mary, a direct descendant of King David, which is why they referred to referred to him, and still do, as Messiah, the son of David. He was born in Bethlehem. And he was crucified in about 33 AD. The Messiah was born to die. To be the ultimate blood sacrifice for his people and for all people. That whoever would accept him would never die but would have eternal life. He fulfilled the law of Moses by obeying it completely. And he promised That one day he would return, and then Satan's head would be crushed. The Messiah was and is Yeshua of Nazareth, or Jesus of Nazareth. So Messiah came and he died. Now, what could the enemy do to prevent the return of the Messiah? Jesus said something to the Jewish people from Jerusalem. Several days before he went to the cross to his death, he said this to them. It's in Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 to 39. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That is a messianic verse from a messianic psalm, Psalm 118. So before the Jewish people can see Jesus again, before he can return, the Jewish people must say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They must say it together from Israel, from Jerusalem. The enemy knows this, of course. Many people say, you know the enemy knows the Bible better than we do. And although that's true, he didn't need to know the Bible to know what I'm telling you tonight. He was there. Since that time, ever since the cross... He has been systematically trying to totally annihilate the Jewish people so that there would not be even one single Jew who could say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the root cause of anti-Semitism, folks. This has been brought into reality through many literal attempts to kill the Jews, Hitler's Holocaust is a major example of this and all the wars against Israel since 1948, up to and including the massacre by Hamas on October 7th. These are examples caused by Satan trying to fulfill his strategy of the total annihilation of the Jewish people. He has not succeeded, and as Pastor David told us he will never succeed. We hear today of a new anti-Semitism. What is that? The person or people who practice this so-called new anti-Semitism say something like this. We hate Israel. Although I'm not crazy about the Jewish people, I wish them no harm, except for the ones in Israel because their country is oppressing the Palestinians and stealing their land. The Jews have no right to Israel, and they are practicing apartheid. What Hamas did is understandable. There are people who say this today, including members of the church and pastors. Folks, I believe that Satan has goals, strategies, and tactics. I believe that his main goals are to be like God or even above God and to seek revenge against God for throwing him out of heaven and to prevent the Messiah's return. That's another major goal, so that his, Satan's head won't be crushed. And um, Satan has strategies a major strategy is to destroy Israel and all the Jewish people for reasons we just discussed. And the October 7th massacre was Satan's latest tactic in Israel. I don't think that Satan's goals and strategies change much over time, but his tactics constantly change. So now he's encouraging people to believe in the quote new anti-semitism which i just mentioned which is utter nonsense but this is another tactic and he is relentless satan when one tactic is defeated he comes up with three more we must fight him with all our strength but this is a spiritual battle We wrestle not against flesh and blood, as Ephesians 6 tells us, and only the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, can bring the final victory, and he will. Now, the second thing I want to talk about is, what is the root cause for Jewish people's resistance to believe in Jesus? The cause is supernatural, Let me read you two scripture verses from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans in the New Testament, chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the full number, the fullness, meaning the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob that's Yeshua folks he's the deliverer folks that is the reason for the resistance it's spiritual blindness it's a partial spiritual blindness a better translation would be temporary blindness it is temporary and it has happened to the entire nation except for a small number of people the remnant Not because they're any better than other Jews. I don't know why. God chose them. He chose me. Why has God done this? So that the full number of Gentiles to be saved will be saved. When this full number of Gentiles is saved through the Messiah, then and only then will the entire nation of Israel be saved all at once. The Apostle Paul referred to it as a mystery, something that only God could reveal to people. That's what is meant here by mystery. When the entire nation of Israel is saved all at once, it will be like life from the dead, the Bible tells us. But please be very much aware that Satan is quite interested in killing Gentiles too, although they are not as high a priority for him right now as killing Jews is. If the Jewish people, as a nation, had accepted Yeshua when he first came, what might have happened? Well, it's speculation. We don't know, of course, but this might have happened. If they accepted him when he first came, he would have died then to pay the price for sin. And he would have set up his millennial kingdom. And perhaps the great mass of non-Jewish people would never have been saved. Now this was never God's plan. Let me read you another two verses. Romans chapter 11, 28 to 29. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. That's why. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and others. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. These verses explain why Gentile people are spiritually indebted to the Jewish people. Now, how does this work itself out, this resistance to Jesus? That is supernatural. How does it work itself out? Let me give you a couple of examples. Maybe some of you have heard of Rashi. R-A-S-H-I is an acronym for his full name. He lived from 1040 to 1105. A very famous French rabbi revered by many Orthodox Jews today, including members of Chabad, the Lubavitch sect, Hasidim, one sect of Hasidim, he proclaimed that the famous Isaiah passage, 52.13 to 53.12, describes a suffering servant. Yes, it describes a suffering servant, all right, but according to Rashi, not the Messiah. I think I'm not going to take the time to read that whole passage to you now. Time is limited, but I think that many of you know it. And if you don't, it's Isaiah 53. Start with 52. 52. 52.13 to 53.12. Rashi taught that this man despised and rejected Let me read one verse from this passage that I just mentioned. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, the Messiah. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That's the Messiah. Rashi taught that this man despised and rejected was the nation of Israel. Elsewhere in this passage, it explains that this man had no sin. Israel is not without sin. It never was. Neither is America. No country is. To this day, this faulty exegesis by Rashi leads Jewish people away from seeing that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah. To this day, make no mistake, Maimonides, who lived about a century later, 1138 to 1204, a very, very famous rabbi, also a philosopher and a physician, was born in Spain, had to leave because of anti-Semitism, lived in Morocco and later in Egypt. He was a leader of his people, And he suffered much persecution because he was a Jew. He came up with what he called and what others have called the 13 principles of faith. According to Maimonides, a Jew who denied any of these principles would be denied a place in the world to come. Heaven or the millennial kingdom, a good place would be denied entry. The second of the 13 principles says God has absolute and unparalleled unity. The third principle of the 13 says God is incorporeal, he is without a body. Now it's obvious that these, that principle two rules out a God who is one, but is comprised of three persons Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Principle three rules out the incarnation. There can be no God in the flesh. Therefore, these 13 principles of Maimonides rule out Jesus as being the Messiah. Maimonides is revered today probably more widely than Rashi. They're both very revered. And for most Jews... If Maimonides says there is no Jesus, then there is no Jesus. Jesus is not the Messiah and he is not God. Even if the Bible, including the Torah, the first five books, says otherwise, which it does. A great number of rabbis today stand on the teachings of Rashi and Maimonides as pillars of the Jewish faith. And they mislead their people. I'm not saying they're doing it intentionally, but they are doing it and it's a reason, reason that Jews reject Jesus. Third of four topics that I'm going to, I hope, briefly cover tonight. Are Jewish people, or any of us for that matter, under the law of Moses today? It was Maimonides, whom, whom I just mentioned a moment ago, who codified the commandments in the Torah, the five books, and counted 613 commandments. I have reason to believe that that is accurate. These are the commandments given by God and therefore found in the Torah, in the Bible. Failure to keep these commandments was punishable by death. No one with a sin nature, meaning each and every one of us, could keep all these commandments. That's why God provided an elaborate system of sacrifices, including blood sacrifices, to provide temporary atonement or forgiveness for sins. God told the Israelites this through Moses. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul the life of an animal became a substitutionary sacrifice for the life of an Israelite these sacrifices had to be repeated over and over They provided no permanent forgiveness. The sacrificial system was administered by priests, many priests, and one high priest who came from the tribe of Levi. Through the prophet Jeremiah, long after the time of Moses, God told the children of Israel that he was going to replace the covenant of the law, the Mosaic covenant, with a new covenant, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. This is just before a passage that David read. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, Yahweh, for I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. This is future, folks. This word from Jeremiah was a prophecy of a future covenant, to replace the covenant that the people continually broke. They couldn't keep that covenant. Nobody could. This new covenant would require a blood sacrifice, however. A blood sacrifice that was perfect, unlike the blood from an animal. A new priesthood would be required. There would be one priest, and he would be from the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. In fact, this priest would also himself be the sacrifice. This sacrifice was Jesus, Yeshua. God in the flesh and his sacrifice on the cross was enough to pay the debt for every sin that would ever be committed or that ever was committed, past, present, and future. Yeshua, the Messiah, God himself in the flesh and his sacrifice was and is the basis of of the new covenant when Yeshua was crucified the curtain in the temple separating the holy of holies from the holy place was miraculously torn in two from top to bottom symbolically opening the way for every believer to enter spiritually into the Holy of Holies. Several decades later, in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. Never again could a God-ordained animal sacrifice be made. Never again. God requires that his people worship him through the new covenant. He loves his chosen people, the Jewish people, but he wants them to come to salvation through the new covenant, through Jesus, the only way. God restates the new covenant in the New Testament in Hebrews exactly as he did in Jeremiah, verbatim. Now, what I'm going to say now is super important and very hard to grasp, especially for a Jewish person. Please listen to me. The law of Moses shows us God's character, and that's a very valuable thing. And the law is scripture. And all scripture is profitable and worthwhile. The law is good, as the Apostle Paul said. But the law of Moses cannot provide salvation. It never could. It could if someone could obey every one of the 613 commandments. But nobody can Yeshua did no one else that's why that's how we can say why he said I fulfilled the law but folks today Jewish or non-Jewish the law is no longer your master and the new covenant does provide salvation the new covenant has replaced the covenant of the law And with a new covenant, there must be a new priesthood. That priesthood consists of only one priest, Yeshua, Jesus. He is our high priest now. How does a person access the benefits of this covenant permanently? You place your faith in Jesus, in Yeshua, as your Lord and Savior, and you follow him all the days of your life. He will make you a new creation by filling you with the Holy Spirit who will help you to keep the new covenant. And if you are a Jew, you will still be Jewish, just as Jewish as you ever were, maybe more so. The last thing I want to talk about briefly is what is in the future for Israel and for individual Jewish people today? Daniel chapter 9 is a very important chapter. Daniel, at that point, he's in Babylon. He's an old man, having been taken to Babylon as a teenager. He is a very respected and very godly man. He has been reading the scrolls of Jeremiah, who was a contemporary of his. Jeremiah the prophet, through whom the Lord said that the time of exile of the Jewish people would be 70 years. At the time that Daniel is reading this scroll, that 70-year fulfillment is about two years away. Daniel must have thought that at 70 years, the Messiah would return and set up the Messianic kingdom and bad things would be all over because God sent the angel Gabriel to give Daniel understanding that this would not be the case. Gabriel explained that it would not be 70 years until the time of restoration of all things for the Jewish people, but seven times 70 years until this would happen. After 69 sevens of years or 483 years, The Messiah would come according to the prophecy in Daniel 9, given to him by Gabriel, and the Messiah would be cut off, killed, but not for himself. Then the final seven years would come, but only after a gap of time. At the present time, we are still in that gap, which has been going on for about 2,000 years now. The final seven years, Daniel's 70th week, is what is known as the tribulation. It begins when the coming prince, the Antichrist, signs a seven-year peace treaty with Israel. At the midpoint of that treaty, after three and a half years, the Antichrist reveals that he is not a man of peace. He commits the abomination of desolation at the rebuilt temple, the third temple, perhaps better known as the tribulation temple in Jerusalem, as did his predecessor Antiochus in 175 BC in the second temple. The Antichrist will commit the abomination of desolation. He will set himself up in the temple as God. That's what that's what we're talking about here. This second half of Daniel's seventieth week is referred to by the prophet Jeremiah as the time of Jacob's trouble, three and a half years. It will be a second Holocaust, worse than Hitler's Holocaust. Two-thirds of the Jewish people will die, killed by the Antichrist. It's not random, folks. God will preserve his people, the one-third. Jesus spoke about this time. There's no way today that we can ever know who will be in that one-third of people, if it's even in our lifetimes, which I suspect we'll be out of here those of us who believe, will be raptured out. We won't be here for that. But if we're thinking about it and think, well, gee, this Jewish person is really resistant. He or she is not going to be in the one-third that's going to make it through the terrible tribulation. Forget it. There's no way you can know that. Nobody can. God doesn't want us to have that knowledge. If that was the way it was going to be, The Apostle Paul would never have been able to do what he did. Let me read to you Matthew 24, verses 15 to 21. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus is talking about the time of this tribulation. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, which is future to us now. No, nor ever shall be. Now, I should be drawing to a close very soon now. But I need to tell you about a few other things. God is in control of all things. He is sovereign. Why would he allow this to happen? to his chosen people. I want to read to you one verse, Daniel 9, chapter 9, 24. Seventy weeks of years are determined for your people and your holy city. One, to finish the transgression. Two, to make an end of sins. Three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Five, to seal up vision, and six, and prophecy, and six, to anoint the most holy. What are these six purposes that God requires the nation of Israel, all the people, to fulfill? Our friend Arnold Fruchtenbaum has helped me with this. Here is a summary of what he says. The first purpose is to finish a specific transgression of the Jewish people, namely the rejection of the Messiah, to accept the Messiah. Two, the second purpose is to put an end to daily sins. The third purpose is to atone for the sin nature of man by accepting the sacrifice of Yeshua, Jesus, on the cross. The fourth is to bring in the age of righteousness, which is the messianic or millennial kingdom. The fifth is the final fulfillment of all revelations and prophecies. With the second coming of the Messiah, the function and purpose of prophecy will be completed. And the sixth is to anoint the millennial temple or possibly to anoint the king himself and crown him in the millennial kingdom, Jesus Now, how is this going to happen? It's going to require something extraordinary. Daniel 12, 7 explains this. Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time times and half a time that's three and a half years the time of jacob's trouble and when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered all these things shall be finished the jewish people are going to fulfill all these six purposes at the end of the tribulation god is going to pour out on them a spirit of repentance They will see the Antichrist and his armies coming for them. There is no way out. They're going to die, all of them. Right then, they're going to cry out for their Messiah. They're going to recognize the Lord Jesus, Yeshua. They're going to mourn for him, and he will save them. Right then. But what about you? Whether you're Jewish or not, what can you do now? What can you do for yourself? You can accept the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Messiah, your personal God, now. You will be born again, but you will never enter the seven-year tribulation, or the second half of it, the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, what about those of you who have relatives, loved ones, dear friends, who were massacred or kidnapped in the recent massacre in Israel? And you might say, well, what about them? I want to remind you of something in the book of Job. You may remember in the book of Job, that Job was a completely righteous man, as righteous as any of us can be. We all have a sin nature, had a sin nature, and we still sin. God allowed Satan to kill all of Job's children take away all his possessions, curse him with a terrible illness. It was a series of terrible blows. Job never lost his faith in God. He complained plenty, and he criticized God, but he never lost his faith. Then after a period of time, God spoke with Job, and Job remembered just how great God is. And Job said this, Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And the Lord blessed Job. Job 42, 12 to 13. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. Well, Job had seven sons and three daughters before they were killed. So somebody is going to say, well, that's just great. God allowed all of Job's children to be killed and he replaced them with other children. Does God think that's righteous? Folks, God is always righteous. We don't always get to see that, but we have to believe it. And God loved Job and his children and he loves you. So whatever happens to you or your loved ones have faith in God and believe that he will make everything right in the end because he will. Thank you.